0: Thanks, Tim, and thanks for the opportunity to come and share with you this morning. As uh, Tim mentioned, I wear two hats. I'm uh, one of the lecturers at Malian Theological College and also the Regional Minister for the Metro Central Region of Brisbane, which includes Hertford Street. And so greetings from the 220 Queensland Baptist churches this morning and the 23 churches in the Metro Central Region. And uh, it's great. I always love catching up with Josh and hearing about uh, the ministry you have here. 62 years of faithful ministry in the Upper Mount Gravatt area. Uh, And you were saying last night you had that community dinner. And those are just fantastic events, I think, where the church is able to really open itself up to the community and invite the community to come and and be part of the community that we have been called to be as, as followers of Christ. So... Uh, so blessings and be aware that uh, we continue to pray for you and uphold you as you, we share together in the ministry that Christ has called us to. I don't know if you see the, these uh, surveys that come out every couple of years where they identify how many careers people are likely to have during their working lives in, in going into the future. Uh, I saw one a couple of years ago that said the average person leaving, graduating grade 12 in, in 2021, I think it was, was likely to have 13 different careers during their working lives, and that struck me as strange because I think back to my father's generation, where when he uh, left school, he had he was going to have one career. That was the idea. You had one career and you did that your whole life, then you retired and uh, and. But things have changed. And then, and then I thought, well, maybe, yeah, how many careers have I had? And then I sort of started counting. So I think I was, when I was a student, I was a part-time accounts clerk. And then I was a high school teacher. Then I was a pastor. Then I was an online content developer. And then I was a lecturer. And now I'm a regional minister as well. And I thought, hmm, that's a lot more than I, than I thought. But then I thought, what about the other unpaid vocations that I've had during my life as well. Like I've been a, uh, a soccer coach. Uh, I've been a, uh, a president of a community organisation. I have uh, been a father as well. I think that's, that, was a, that was a big calling as well. So there's been all of these vocations, the ones I've been paid for, the ones that have been full-time, but also the part-time ones and the ones I haven't been paid for. And I think if you were to do the same analysis, you'd discover that during your life you haven't just been a carpenter or an IT technician, you have been a whole range of different jobs and vocations and and callings in your life. And when we look in the Old Testament, we discover a man who also had multiple vocations, we know him as King David probably, but his, his real name would have been David Ben-Jesse, David the son of, of Jesse. And there's more written about this man than any other man in the Old Testament. And because so much is written about him, we actually get to see some of his vocations, some of the different callings that God put upon him in his life. And what we're going to do this morning is, is look at some of Paul, at David's vocations and see what they might help us, how they might help us in our vocations, the things that God has called us to do in our lives, whether paid or unpaid, whether full-time or part-time. The first role, the first vocation we see of David is that he was a shepherd. And if you turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 16, we can read a little bit about David's role of shepherd. Just a, a little bit of context. So the, a, man, a prophet named Samuel had been appointed by God to appoint the first king of Israel and his name was Saul. And it started out okay, but it turned a bit sour and, and, and Saul was, was failing as a king. And so God went to Samuel again and said, I want you to anoint a second king. And he says, I want you to go to this man, um, Jesse, who lives in Bethlehem, and and I I will tell you what to do when you get there. And so we'll pick up the story in, in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 6. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, ah, surely the Lord's anointed, so the new king, stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, "'Do not consider his appearance or his height, "'for I have rejected him. "'The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. "'People look at the outward appearance, "'but the Lord looks at the heart.' "'Then Jesse called Abinadab "'and had him passed in front of Samuel. "'But Samuel said, "'The Lord has not chosen this one either. "'Jesse then had Shammah pass by, "'but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, "The Lord has not chosen any of these." So he asked Jesse, "Are these all the sons you have?" "Oh, They're still the youngest," Jesse answered. "He's tending the sheep." Nowadays, if you're a parent, you know that you try and cover up the fact that you've got favourites. But in those days, they didn't bother with that sort of thing. So the firstborn son was the favourite, and he got everything, all the blessings, all the opportunities, all the wealth. And then as you went down the list, the children were given less and less important status in the family. And so by the time Jesse got to number eight, the the, the runt of the pack, uh, David, well he got the lowest job in the lowest status possible, which was to be looking after the sheep. In those days to be a shepherd was a lowly and a lonely occupation. It was, it was lowly because you, you were, it was outdoors, it was dirty, looking after animals. In those days in Israel the, 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 good, the good land closest to the city was safe for farming, for cropping. Uh, and so a shepherd would have to take the, the sheep well away from the populated centres in order that they could, could find grazing land that they could eat on. So they were often away for days on end and, and it was this sort of scenario where, oh, I don't know where David is. He's out somewhere tending the sheep. He'll be somewhere away from the village and it, it, was, it was lowly and it was uh, very poorly. And, and this is one of the, the beauties of the, at the incarnation, Okay, where, where, where God wants to communicate to the world that Jesus has come for everybody, not just the rich and the famous, but also for the poor and lonely. And so when, the angels, when God tells the angels to announce the birth of Jesus, he, he says, I want you to go to the lowliest people you can possibly find and make sure they know about the coming of Jesus as well. And so the angels, they go and proclaim it to the shepherds. Because in the ancient world, the shepherds were on the margin of society. They were the lowliest and most isolated people in the whole community. And that's what David was. He was a a shepherd. But not only was it lonely and lonely, it was also dangerous. Common practice in those days that uh, if you've got a, a single shepherd, often boys, children, looking after a flock of sheep, well it was so easy to just go and assault them and to steal the sheep. And of course in those days as well in Israel you won't today you won't find a bear or a lion in, in Israel but in those days they were, they were common. And, and, and a, a shepherd would be expected to be able to fight off a lion or a bear or a bandit that was coming to assault his master's sheep. And so it was not only being a shepherd it was lonely and, and lowly, it was It was dangerous. Yet we see that David never denied that he was a shepherd. The fact that we're reading in the Bible that he identified as a shepherd shows that he was not ashamed of it. In fact, in the next chapter when he comes before Saul and Saul says what you've been up to, David says proudly, I have been out tending my father's sheep. Far from being a lonely job and farly being a, a despised job, when he was thinking in one of his psalms, what can I liken my relationship or God's relationship with me to? The Lord is my shepherd. Far from being a lowly and despised job, something that he was ashamed of, David had this sense that it was a spiritual activity and that God was working in him and through him to achieve his purposes in the world. And so David addressed his life as a shepherd with enthusiasm and excellence. He's proud to say that I am a shepherd, and when the bear and the bandit and the, the lion came upon the flock of my flock of sheep, I was willing to lay down my life to defend them, because this was an important job. This was a job that God had called me to. And I was going to do it with enthusiasm and excellence. But that, of course, was not David's only vocation. We see in the same passage reference to his second one. He was a musician. If we continue the story from verse 11 of 1 Samuel 16. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. Now, the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. I don't know about you, but I still find some verses in the Bible very puzzling. And uh, this is one of the very puzzling ones for me. So, if you've got questions about that, speak to Josh or Tim. I don't know. <laughs> Verse 14. Now the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul and the evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. And Saul's attendant said to him, See, an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Thanks. Lord, let our Lord command his servants here to search for someone who can play the lyre or the harp. He will play when the evil spirit from God comes on you and you will feel better. And so Saul said to his attendants, Find someone who plays well and bring him to me. One of the servants answered, I've seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the lyre. He is a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and is a fine looking man. Don't you hate him? And the Lord is with him. And Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me your son David who is with the sheep. So Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread and skin and wine and a young goat and sent them with his son David to Saul. David came to Saul and ended his service. Saul liked him very much, and David became one of his armour bearers. Then Saul sent word to Jesse, saying, Allow David to remain in my service, for I am pleased with him. When the Spirit from God came on Saul, David would take up his lyre and play. Then relief would come to Saul. He would feel better, and the evil spirit would leave him. David's instrument was a, was a lyre, which was a bit like a harp, except for it was a portable, portable harp, and he could carry around and stand and, and, and play it. But not only did David play the lyre very well, he obviously was get talented, but he also would have, as all musicians would know, you have to work hard with your gifting to make it really good. And, and so David obviously was committed to, to working hard to being a really, really good uh, lyre player, but he was also a singer. Uh, Uh, 2 Samuel 23 talks about David being the sweet psalmist of Israel. So he he had a lovely voice, which no doubt he had to work on developing as well. But perhaps he's equally well famous, not just for his ability on the lyre or his ability to sing, but his ability to compose music as well. And we have 75 of David's songs recorded for us in the book of Psalms. And, and literary scholars from across the world, even if they're not Christian, acknowledge that these words, these poems, these song lyrics written by this man, David, 3,000 years ago, are some of, the most, some of the greatest literature in the world. They are magnificently beautiful pieces of, of poetry that, that, that address and, and speak to the heart of people. People pick up the psalms, and hopefully you do this regularly yourself. You pick up the psalms and you hear the voice of God. You pick up the psalms and you read it and say, that says it so much better than I could possibly say it myself. These incredible pieces of work that, that we have 75 of them that David wrote. And he was, was very gifted as, as a psalmist. And so no doubt, David saw his, his songwriting and his musicianship as a spiritual activity. And he had the sense that God was working in him and through him as he worked his purposes in the world. And so David committed himself to his songwriting with enthusiasm and excellence. But that's only the second of David's vocation. There was another vocation that David had, and he actually alludes to it a lot in his Psalms. And it's a vocation that he was proud of. And it's one that might surprise you a little bit. And that was David was a warrior. In Psalm 144, I don't know if it passed you by it or if, you, if it gripped you what David was saying in that very first verse of that psalm. Blessed be the Lord my, Lord, my rock who trains my hands for war and my fingers for the battle. David was understanding that was not only was it God's will for him to be a warrior, but that God was actually enabling him to be a good warrior. It uh, gets a little bit more disturbing when, when you read a, a, a later passage in, in 2 Samuel 22, which uh, David sort of gets even more wound up about this skill he has as a, as a soldier. In verse 35 of, of 2 Samuel 22, he trains my hands for battle. My arms can bend a bow of bronze. Uh, you make your saving help my shield. You help me, you, your help has made me great. You provide a broad path for my feet so that my ankles will not give way. I pursued my enemies and I accepted their surrender? No. I pursued my enemies and I crushed them. I did not turn back until they were destroyed. I crushed them completely and they could not rise. They fell beneath my feet. You armed me with strength for battle. You humbled my adversaries before me. You made my enemies turn their backs in flight and I destroyed my foes. They cried for help but there was no one to save them. To the Lord, but he did not answer. I beat them as fine as the dust of the earth and I pounded and trampled them like mud in the street. This was no meek and mild man. This was a a brutal killer and of course It is no better exemplified in the story that comes from his youth. He, as a boy, showed these violent tendencies. The famous story of David and Goliath. So the, the Goliath, the champion of the Philistines, comes out and he's a terrifying soldier. Everybody is running away from him except for David. He comes to King Saul and says, let me have a shot at this guy, literally. And one of the things we we need to realise is that we know that, you might know that David kills Goliath, or at least knocks him out with a a slingshot. We're we're not talking here about one of those little Y-shaped bits of stick with a rubber band. Uh, David was a shepherd and one of the tools that the shepherds had in their fights against bandits, bears and lions was their slingshot. And it was a a strap of leather and a fist-sized rock They put the rock in the leather, they spin it around to a high speed and with their hours and hours of training they were able to release one end of the leather strap at the perfect moment to send the stone projectile flying towards the enemy, and in this case Goliath. And We don't have the exact details of the story but I don't think we need to assume that David was standing off behind the enemy lines throwing this thing shot. It's quite likely he ran towards Goliath and he only had to stay far away to be out of reach of his spear. And David released this rock and with a fair certainty that he knew he would be able to kill him. And then he cut his head off and stole his sword and used his sword to slay many others. The the song that uh, the people of Jerusalem sang when, when David came back from a battle, they sang, Saul has killed the thousands, David has killed the tens of thousands. The conflict with Goliath was not a battle it was an execution and throughout his life David demonstrated he had great skill as a soldier. He was brutal and efficient and he led small groups of men and he led large groups of men but all the time throughout his entire life probably 55 years he was a warrior. Yet he saw it as a spiritual activity a guy called Corey Capps, who's a, a U.S. Army chaplain, has gone through the Old Testament and, and identified Paul's, uh, David's attitude to war. And we see that David always sought God before each battle. He relied on God in the midst of the battle. He gave God the credit for winning the battles. He knew victory did not come from numbers, technology or expertise, but from the hand of God. And Corey Capps summarises it like this. David's perspective on war combined a realism with faith. He did not downplay the dread of war or, or minimise its fallout. He was honest and about combat's impact on his soul, his family and his colleagues. At the same time, he infused his view of war with faith and spirituality. His training, his pre-war rituals, experience in combat, the post-war practice, were all executed before the face of God. The interface of realism and faith produced a rugged, resilient warrior. David was a killer. Yet somehow he saw that as a spiritual activity and that God was working in him and through him to achieve his purposes in the world. And so David did it with excellence and enthusiasm. But we see that David had one other vocation as well. David was a politician. When we think of the nation of Israel, we think of a united kingdom. But of course it was far from that. It was 12 separate tribes. And those tribes were very independent. And in fact, at various stages in their history, they were at war with each other, and it's a bit like Australia in that sense. That you know, we think that we're one happy country. Um, that's until COVID comes along, and then the borders are shut, and the, the premiers are sending nasty texts to one another. Or at state of origin time, we can tell that we are indeed a, a federation of states, not a single entity. And Israel was, was a bit like that. And historians look at the ministry of David and recognise that as, as king and as politician, one of his brilliant master strokes, one of the great achievements of his entire life was to be able to unite the 12 tribes of Israel. At the beginning of his reign, they were all separate, independent, but by the end of his reign, he had brought them together as, as one kingdom and with one capital, They recognise historians recognised that his master stroke was to establish an independent capital, the place of of Jerusalem. And uh, from the Australian example again, you might know that in 1901 when the states, the independent states of Australia were talking about forming a federation, one of the big sticking points was, where would the capital be? Everybody in New South Wales assumed it would be Sydney. Everybody in Melbourne assumed it would be a Melbourne. And, and there was, it, it looked as though the whole thing might fall over because they couldn't decide which would be the capital city. And then somebody had the bright idea of saying, let's choose a vacant block of land somewhere between Sydney and Melbourne and we'll put the capital there. And of course, they, they did that, put Canberra there. Nobody at the time sort of had the, the, uh, the intelligence to question, why doesn't anybody live there? And of course, we know now it's because of the godforsaken climate of the place. But still, politically, it worked perfectly. And the, the formation of the independent city, the independent capital, the way of the, the country to come together. And it was the same with David. He was brilliant in saying, let's choose somewhere that, doesn't, that nobody owns, that Jer- Jer- the Jerusalem was not owned by any of the, the indep- of the tribes, and moved his city there. But we also recognise that he did not just do this for political reasons. He did it for religious reasons. And one of the first things he did when when the city of Jerusalem was established as the capital of of Israel was to bring the Ark of the Covenant from the back block where it had been laying and desolate and bring it to the centre of the city. And if you don't remember, the the Ark of the Covenant was the the place where the Ten Commandments and the the staff of Aaron was and it was sort of a, a, a key religious focus of the people of Israel but it had been sort of somebody sort of left it out in a a paddock somewhere and David brought it back into the city and brought it into Jerusalem and declared that Jerusalem was not just going to be a political capital, it was going to be the religious capital of this whole nation, united together under one God, Yahweh the true God. And and David fought hard throughout his life to get rid of the false idols that, that were in various places throughout the kingdom and say, no, As one country, we worship the one true God, Yahweh, the King. And so even as a politician, even as a politician, David saw it as a spiritual activity and that God was working in him and through him to achieve his purposes in the world. And so he did it with excellence and enthusiasm. And in fact, we see that David approached all of his vocations with exactly that same philosophy. Of course, David was only the ancestor of the one who would truly fulfill his vocation to perfection. Jesus was the great shepherd who laid down his life for his flock. Jesus was the great musician who not only went out on the night he was betrayed and sang hymns with his friends, but who created music, who created the canvas upon which every song that has ever been written and ever sung has been placed. And Jesus was the great warrior who defeated Satan on the cross and cast evil out of this world. And of course Jesus is the great king, the ruler of the kingdom of God, which has begun and is working towards consummation, that final time where every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. David was a long way short of that. One of the things I love about the Old Testament is how honest and frank it is about the people and the characters in there. If you read any other ancient biography, the hero has no faults. They, they just paper over, and, and, and they only talk about the great victories this man had, and the, the, the great and, and the enemies he defeated, and all the good things he did for the people. And, and certainly in, in, in the Old Testament, we can see the good things that David did, but it also reveals his weaknesses and his sin, in powerful clarity. And, 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 and in this book we read that David was king and a good king in many ways, but he was also a liar. He was also lazy at times, that he was an adulterer and that he was a murderer and that he tried to cover it up. But still, the Bible tells us that David was described as a man after God's own heart and that he was a man who God was with throughout his life. So how could that be? How could that, that broken, sinful person, just like me and you, how could that broken, sinful person also be described as a man after God's own heart and a man who God was with? And I think it's because of the attitude he had to his vocations, that even though he was a sinner, he had the sense that all the work he did was a spiritual activity and that God was working in him and through him to achieve his purposes in the world. And so he did his work with enthusiasm and excellence. And I don't know about your multiple vocations at this stage in your life, where you're at. Uh, some of us are blessed to be in jobs that we just love. And imagine, imagine David just loved being a musician and a composer, you know. And he could sense so clearly that God was working through him and the spiritual activity. And, and but maybe your job is a bit like David's work as a shepherd. It's lowly, and it's lonely. And you don't see any immediate way that it makes any difference in the world. And you don't immediately see it as a, as a spiritual activity. And maybe your work is, is in a place that is toxic. A bit like a political scene. You know, there's a whole lot of politics going on in the office and, 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 and there's bullying and there's abuse and you get overlooked in your work and Maybe you feel, you you sort of struggle to see how, how God could be at work in that situation. But wherever you are, whatever God has called you to, as a Christian, we have a slightly awkward doctrine. And that doctrine is called the sovereignty of God. And what that means in everyday English is that God has where you are for a purpose. That there's nothing random. You're you're not in your context by chance. This is what we believe as Christians. You're not there by... We believe that God has actually put you there for a reason and he has deliberately put you there. And so that means we've somehow got to adopt the same attitude that David had. That what I'm doing where I am at the moment is a spiritual activity and that God is working in me and through me to achieve his purposes in the world through my work and through my vacation. And so I need to do it with enthusiasm and excellence. Mark Green from the London Institute of Contemporary Christianity tells a beautiful story about a a young woman with learning difficulties who, who dropped out of school but managed to secure a role as an apprentice hairdresser and the church she was in was just celebrating this amazing achievement for her that this kid who looked like she had no, no future, had, had secured this job. So they got up at church on, on, on the Sunday, on the Sunday and, and they celebrated together and the elders came out the front and they laid their hands on her and said, we are sending you out into your workplace as our missionary. We're sending you out with our prayers and with our commissioning to be God's hairdresser. Great idea, eh? Three months later, they get her back up on stage. And so, here you going with Oh, I love it. And the pastor said, I've got a question for you. It might be a little bit hard. Answer it if you can. But how do you see God at work through your work as a hairdresser? And she thought for a moment, then she got this cheeky grin on her face. And she says, when I'm massaging the conditioner into the client's hair, I pray for them. Everything you do can be a spiritual activity, and God can work in you and through you to achieve His purposes in the world. So do it with excellence and enthusiasm. Let's pray. Lori, thank you for the example of David Ben Jesse. And Lord, we thank you that you've shown to us his not just his good traits, but his weaknesses and his sins as well, Lord. And we can see that he is just like us. But we thank you for the example he sets in his attitude towards his vocations. And Lord, we pray that we can have that same attitude. Lord, you know what it's like in our, on our front lines, whether that's at work or at home or in a club or in a, wherever it is you've called us to serve you. And you know how difficult it is, Lord. But We thank you for that call and example you set before us this morning that whether we're a, a shepherd or a soldier or a singer or a politician, we can do it unto you. We can do it as a spiritual activity. And we pray you'll help us to do that in Jesus' name.